And we're back. So we've talked all about what leads up to the birth process, at least in our specific experience in the US and in Germany. And now let's hear some more, Lindsay. I am very curious because we've actually never talked about this. What happened on the day that your first son, Nat, was born? I made a lot of bad choices. The first was that I was trying to be really accommodating to my parents who were visiting at the time. We have a difficult relationship. They wouldn't agree with that because we haven't seen each other in person for a while. But when we actually are in person together, it's it's really like it just doesn't flow. It's hard and they need a lot of attention. And um, I was I was staying up till uh, like midnight, one, two in the morning with them, expecting to give birth at any second. Like I was working on way less sleep than I should have been because um, my parents were jet lagged and had a different schedule and I was trying to be like on my own schedule and their schedule at the same time. Yeah, I was like out at a bar with them, a non-smokers bar and obviously not drinking alcohol, but I was at a bar with them I think the the night before. I went into labor, well, first of all, I didn't go into labor. I, um, what is that thing that's like when you pee and then like black stuff comes out because something... Like your water broke? No, it's not the water that broke. It's that like thing that cervix plug yeah yeah I, think, that. I, I don't know if that's a medical term no actually. I, yeah I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know i don't remember what it's called like i'm i'm too far away from it now i realize to to have the terminology in mind but but there was like something that came out that shouldn't have come out at that moment and because it came out it increased the risk that there would be a bacterial infection or that i was past my due date it was time you know for for this all to happen because that happened i called the hospital where i had signed up to to give birth and they said yeah you need to come in so that we can monitor what's happening I said yeah everything looks to be okay we're just going to let you progress naturally but you've got to stay here and what time of day was this this was in the middle of the night and then they said to me we don't actually have a room for you though and then they looked and they were like well we do have a room but it's with a newborn baby so i had already been up to like one in the morning with my parents and then had slept for maybe an hour and then had got up to pee and then saw oh okay i need to call the hospital then went to the hospital and there I'm told now it's I think at this point it was like five six in the morning and they're telling me okay but we don't have a room for you except with a newborn baby like another mother and her newborn yeah baby. I go into this room and they're like yeah try to sleep and so I, <laughs> I was exhausted I was I was unbelievably exhausted um but there's just eh, eh. like this it was like a tiny cry but more than what is okay for sleeping so i then wandered up and down the halls of this hospital looking for a quiet place to be i I went into the cafeteria and like laid my head down on the table and was trying to sleep there and then got kicked out because they were about to serve breakfast so then i found a potted plant in the hallway and tried to lay on the floor behind it it was like it, it wasn't good (laughs) <laughs> this is insane. It was not it was not good. And the the father couldn't couldn't be there because they didn't have space for him. So like he was sent he was sent home to sleep. And I'm just there kind of like trying to find a place where I can sleep, but it wasn't working. It, it So then I ended up like going back to this room that I was given and, you know, lie, I, I at least lied down on this hospital bed. But I mean, the whole time it's like this new mother readjusting her baby and nursing her baby and picking it up and setting it down and changing its diaper and it's crying and she's reacting to it and nurses are coming in and weighing the baby and checking the baby and giving her tips. And it's all this like new mother care thing that's happening there. And it's... I mean, it wasn't relaxing. So I was more and more tired. But then the contractions did start. And so they moved me into a room where I could like start birthing. But at this point, like I had been up for like 24 hours and I was just, I was just so exhausted and not ready. I was just absolutely not ready to be going into a birthing situation and so i thought okay well i need an epidural because then i can sleep like i heard stories about you know people sleeping after the epidural 
And I thought, yeah, 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 that's good. When they tried to give me the epidural, my back, like the, the point immediately started swelling. And they were like, okay, we need to try again. Again, it was like there was a problem. And then they, they said, well, we don't know if it's really a good idea to try a third time. And then they left. And I did not get an epidural. And the contractions were were strengthening, and I was in a, a lot of pain. They ended up bringing in all sorts of different types of medicine, like opiates, and I was throwing up and in and out of consciousness. It was, it was just like I I, I just wasn't I I did not have the strength physically or mentally to be in that moment. Didn't have enough control over the situation or over myself or over anything that was happening. Hours go by and the contractions are getting more and more and they're saying to me like, you're not dilating or is it like, is it possible that you're not relaxed? And I was like, (laughs) Um, I was just wandering the halls, like trying to sleep behind a plant. On like what, that. like a tile floor? Like it was carpeted. Uh, oh, okay. Well, you ask me if um, I had a relaxing entry into this whole process. Oh my god! I know. I was oh, not happy. Lindsay, yeah, and and so then they say like, okay, we're gonna see. Um, we're gonna see how the the baby's doing. It's been about twenty four hours since you've come in, and um, which meant about like thirty six hours or. I don't know, more like 40 hours since I'd been awake. And they said, we need to see, we need to see if like, if the baby's doing fine. And so because the, like he had already like moved pretty low, his head was like at the, like really deep in my pelvis at this point. So they stuck this like needle, this like tube thing up my cervix to poke him in the head to get a blood sample, which is a crazy feeling that you have this like living creature like deep in your pelvis that's trying to avoid being pricked in the head by a needle because obviously they can feel pain like he's about to be born at this point it's like yeah i mean it's not any different than sticking a thing in a newborn baby's head like that's actually cruel um so anyway, they're, they're like, he's trying to avoid it, trying to like move out of the way. And I feel this um, very, very intensely. Finally, they're satisfied that they've gotten enough blood. They take it back to the lab and they say, your baby is in distress. There is no oxygen in his blood. We need to do an emergency C-section. And I remember thinking like, thank God, like, because I just like, at this point I was like, cut it out. I like, it's just, I need this thing out of me. Um, and so, so then they put me under um, and, and they, they were like super panicked, super emergency. It was like less than a minute later I was under. And, um, and then I remember like, I, I woke up, like I, I came back out of it and I look over and I remember just thinking, like, wow, there's just this, like, strangely formed lump of flesh and bones laying on the father's chest. And I was just like, what? I guess I'm supposed to take it and nurse it now? Like, I remember that was my first thought. Like, I guess I should. But how do I even touch? Like, I didn't even like it just it's it's such the the weight is so strangely distributed in this little form i didn't even know how to like pick it up so then they're like showing me and then um (laughs) and then they say (laughs) and they say um sorry that wasn't the baby's blood that we got that was placental water and that's why there was no oxygen in it oh my gosh (laughs) that is so well i'm wondering as you're seeing the story I'm, i'm thinking okay so is he getting the oxygen from the umbilical cord or was that crushed and so that was blocking oxygen to him there was no problem with the oxygen supply in the end they were just yeah yeah the the doctor actually came later too and apologized to me like an actual apology like i'm really sorry and i think that's a statement also for um there's not this there's not this litigious fear of malpractice here that that a doctor can actually come and say like we made a mistake you actually shouldn't have had a c-section that was totally unnecessary that you had a c-section we should have let it progress wow I and find i'm sorry so weird because germany is a very litigious culture but you you're think saying, so oh yeah i mean everybody sues everybody for everything here 
You really? Have le- yeah, like you you leave your apartment, you sue your landlord for the the deposit. There, uh, I see you what back. you mean. Yeah, you know, there's that's just true. A lot, like you like leave you, your job, you sue the company. But it's also a codified system, so you can't have like these major deals like there are in the states with like settlements like codified. Like you get this much, this much, this much. Yeah. There's no negotiation in terms of like what the outcome should be based on. That's true. It's not like you get rich by suing. It's like you solve conflict by suing. Right. Wow. That's so. Oh, Lindsay. Yeah. That sounds so traumatic. It was to crazy. Think of it was crazy traumatic. Your baby's head with a needle that, and you can feel them try to avoid it. That is. Yeah. Sounds so difficult. Yeah. But but like I said in the birthday episode, after about seven years, that was gone. Like I don't feel any trauma related to it anymore. It does make me like there are things where I'm like, okay, I did a lot wrong. The hospital did a lot wrong. A lot of things came together that just were not good. I learned a lot out of that. Like it was very good for me then to have a second child because the the process was different. But actually I feel the funny thing is I feel a lot more anger about the second process. Why? What? How was that different? When I found out I was pregnant with the second, like the first thing I felt was, oh my God, I need to, I need to make sure that, that I can deal with this in a much stronger and more prepared way. And so I immediately was looking into like, how can I practice dealing with pain so that I don't have to rely on an epidural since it didn't work before? Like, I don't even want to think that that's going to be an option. From the time getting to the hospital to having birth with with, um, Edgar, it was three hours. Like, I really held out a very... A very long time and it was a a different hospital and the thing that made me really angry about that process is I felt like I have things under control I know my body well now I did the preparation work that I needed to and the first thing that the the midwife that was assigned to me when I got there she was like well I need to stick my fingers into your cervix to find out how far you are and I said I don't I don't want that it was taking so much willpower to deal with the pain and the contractions and to and to really like stay in this mindset of getting into a flow where I can relax and feel like I'm allowing myself to open up and she wouldn't listen to that and it really like it feels in my memory or in my like the way I experience it like I feel like I was raped the way she then insisted that she was going to stick her fingers into me and feel the cervix and it I remember it it took it took so much self-control for me in that moment not to just completely like spin out of control mentally and completely lose my ability to even like be strong in that birthing process and it that made me so angry and the thing that makes me the angriest about it is then that the father sent her a thank you note at the end for her care and how great she was. And I was like, I mean, that it just, it makes me feel like so, like nobody was listening to me. Like I was just totally not there. It had nothing to do with me anymore. It was just, you know, the the father and the midwife, you know, high-fiving each other that, that this went so well, where I'm just there as... I don't even... I don't As, know. like, a biological object. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, that they can poke and prod at, and then a baby comes out. That is so hard, because as a woman, as you said, you had put so much time and effort. This is your body. This is... You are the master of this experience, in a way, and you're coming up against a whole different set of values, which are, I need to, as a medical provider treat this very clinically Mm. and and i think in some ways when you deal with the human body as a medical problem and and there's pressure and an emergency sometimes to get through it you have to objectify perhaps the person involved so you can focus on the anatomical region that is under stress and that unless there's an, a line of trust that's been built between you and that patient and a lot of communication, I think it's easy to disregard that patient Yeah. in, in the birthing process. And I think that's, that's so hard because you really had built up trust in your body, but yeah. that trust apparently wasn't there with 
And I think the that's, the, and that's also like why it's such a good idea to have a midwife that you work with ahead of time. Like the other form of hebama is one that that guides you through your pregnancy and is then there for home care after the birth, but is not the one at the hospital with you. But a belig hebama is one that is then definitely at the hospital with you that makes sure that they're there for the birth. But it's whoever the hospital has on staff at the moment is the midwife and the way they explain it in Germany is like the midwife is there for the baby and the doctor is there for the the woman the mother so ah. like each person because it's two people each person has their own caregiver so the midwife really is going into the situation as somebody that's there for the baby, the baby and that that's going to be her concentration and mm-hmm. yeah if, and the if, doctor is my is my support right so in the case of a very stressful situation, she's going to make decisions that she thinks are for the good of the baby, even if the mother's kind of out of it and might object. Both of them are, not, are of course, like for both. You yeah, know? yeah. But, um, but that's, that's the idea behind having two medical staff because there are two patients. Mm. Wow, Lindsay, these are intense experiences that you have had to deal with and process. (laughs) And I think, again, we don't necessarily talk about these things between mothers and daughters. I think think you do once you become pregnant. I think you talk about this with other people. What was it like? But also, you know, time goes by, you forget. It's not really okay to talk to pregnant women about your bad birth experiences. It's a hard subject because yeah. everyone just thinks, yay, a baby. And mm. and often that is that way. But it, yeah, it's a difficult conversation to have. And it's gory and it's messy. And there's it's talking about a region of the body that has a lot of taboo really talking about and showing. Yeah. Um, it's not like... We see a lot of births on TV. I'm shocked that births on TV still follow the same narrative that it's just, you know, pushing a couple times and then here's your baby. When I was doing my master's project, I saw there's a lot of liquids, blood, poop, viscera that's all involved in this. The body almost changes in a way that becomes unrecognizable. And babies do come out like a little battered and bruised. You know, it's a big experience, like pushing yourself through this hole. Yeah, there's also like a really stressful thing for the for the baby. They come with like smashed noses and bent ears. Yeah. It can be a traumatic experience. It can also be something where, as you were talking about, you did like discover your strength in the buildup to it, even if you felt yeah. like that was taken away from you at some point. But I, I see you now and I see you as someone who has really focused on like healthy eating, healthy living. And you've also taken up kickboxing. Like yeah. I think you come into your strength. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the, but that's the interesting thing because, because I was a strong person before this, I just didn't use my strength in this, in this field. And, and that's where I would bring this word sexism back. It was like an internalized sexism that I had where it was like, Oh yeah, this is women's stuff. It's not going to be such a big deal, which is horrible saying that now. And I, I I feel the same way as your look expresses. <laughs> it's horrible. I I had so I really did have a lot of internalized sexism about um, what it is to be a girl. Or strength is not does not belong to men. Of course, like it's. But you learned a lot about birth ahead of time. How did how did your birth go then? I knew that I was going to go in and have a C-section because I had placenta previa. It was a bit disappointing to me because I had wanted that experience to have a natural birth. I was prepping for that. I had attended birthing classes. I had understood the processes of labor and what to expect because I had done my research. I know that there are a variety of outcomes and in my particular case, it was just gonna be better to do a C-section. I went in there mentally prepared for that outcome. I mean, we had the date set up, it was scheduled in advance. And did you get to choose the birthday then? Like, or did they give you the date and you said, yeah, fine? They said, it's better to do it before you go into active labor. Right, okay. And so it was scheduled for a week before the due date. Okay. And I can say that that morning, 
I don't know if it was like a mental thing, but I, I started feeling like a lot of weight, oh. almost like period pain. Oh, okay. And I wonder if I was like in the very early stages of labor. Huh. Um, but uh, so it was a beautiful September morning. The sun was shining. The leaves were beautifully fluttering in the trees and uh, went to the hospital, got ready in the, the room. I was, I was by myself. They were just planning to hook me up to the anesthetic. There was a nurse who was from Bosnia, I believe. And we had a wonderful conversation, um, but she was having trouble putting the IV in my arm. And so then they called in this other nurse who was just like, she had the demeanor of like a truck driver. She's like, yeah, girl. And uh, she got the, the needle in the vein and then I was prepped and ready to go. I think at that point I was pretty delirious. Like my sister was there, my son's dad was there. And I remember going into the operating room and um, I was a little afraid. I remember watching this movie with Sean Penn in it where he plays like a, a death row inmate and they lay him on the table to get executed. And it's like a cross, you know, like a cross that they put Jesus on. I remember going into the operating room and it, the bed was kind of like that. It had like oh. this cross thing. I was like, oh, that's weird. And okay. I, but I remember talking about going to film Obama in the White House for some ceremony that I'd done on my job. And I think I was just babbling like nonsense, like just <laughs> random stream of thoughts coming out of my brain. High on the, uh, high high on on the, the supply. <laughs> they didn't put me all the way out. You know, they had kind of a, a shield. Uh, so I didn't see what was going on below my waist. Um, and I remember talking. And then I remember the feeling of them trying to pull the baby out. And it felt like they were wrenching an alien out of my body. It wasn't like a simple cut and slip. It was just like, yank, yank. And it hurt. Whoa, okay. Like I remember the pressure hurting. Not like, oh my gosh, like I have a gaping hole in my body. But just the pressure was so painful. And I remember I did throw up. And then uh -huh. they put me all the way under. And from that point on, I don't remember anything else. Uh, okay, but that probably means that it was, it didn't go then the way they expected. Is that why they put you under? They Did they have to cut more? I or might they... have also been making so much noise that I, I don't remember okay. exactly why. You but... couldn't stop talking about Obama, so they <laughs> put you under. Yeah, so then, then I remember waking up. I had Bear next to me. He looked so cute. He was born with so much hair. He had these long sideburns. No. He looked like Elvis. It was adorable. And uh, and I remember just being so filled with joy that he was there. And oh. um, and I pulled him over and, you know, did the skin to skin and said, oh, yeah, you know, I need to, like, breastfeed him now. And So that was your first thought, too, this whole, like, must breastfeed. That's interesting. That yeah. was also, like, the first thing that went through my head was, like, okay, I need to get this thing somehow right. on my chest. <laughs> I found out later from my son's dad that apparently during the C-section, they have to, like, take out your intestines or whatever. Yeah. And he he said he had to leave because he saw my intestines like on a table in the operating room. He couldn't handle the sight of that. But apparently they also found some kind of like growth that they were worried might be cancerous. Oh. And so they had to call a specialist down to check out my intestines. Before like they... while you were under? Yeah. Ah, maybe that's why they put you under then. Uh, maybe. So that they didn't have to say like... Oh God! Like you just had a baby and you now have cancer, you know. Yeah. Like, but it turned out to be nothing. Yeah. Okay. So that was okay. But that was I was like, wow. And I was, I'm like, oh my gosh, how are these intestines gonna be all packed back in here? My sister was there. She stayed at the hospital then with me, and she said, oh my gosh, you were just like so high, talking <laughs> about the most random crazy things, and uh, she said it was really funny to hear what's your stream of consciousness. Anyway, so then I was just in the hospital. I had a private room, oh, which okay. was really nice. Well, the baby can stay with you, and I wanted him to as much okay. as possible, but, but the nurses they... also said, look, you're going to be so tired when you get home, so really, you just had a C-section. Take this time to heal. Really, don't feel bad about sending the baby to us so that we can let you sleep. Yeah, tell me how that was for you, because that's like in the 
the cliche I have in my mind of American hospitals is there's that room that has all these like little trays filled with babies. There is. There's a nursery and that you can send your baby into the nursery so you can get sleep. But they don't have that here. Oh, interesting. Okay, so they have like rolling, uh, rolling cradles. As I had the C-section, I think I was allowed to stay in the hospital for like 48 hours. They said it is good if you try to walk. Wait a second. If you had had an, if if you hadn't had a C-section, if you had had a vaginal birth, would you have had to go home straight away? I don't remember. I I don't think you go home right away. I think you can have a a few hours, maybe 24. I don't know. You have to stay three days with a C-section. It's a week. Wow. Okay. I I just remember staying like three days, and because of a C-section. Because of the C-section. Oh so yeah. God. I mean, okay. I was. They have to. You have to wait for the anesthetic to wear off so you can actually walk and not like hurt yourself. At least they take that into consideration. Right. <laughs> so they said when when you're ready, it'd be good for you to walk because the sooner you walk the more we know that you're on your way to recovery. So I just stayed there with Bear um, attached to me skin to skin as much as possible. Um, and they also had a breastfeeding consultant come mm, okay, and help me because it wasn't working right away, breastfeeding. They were weighing him, you know, to see was he gaining weight as he should. I thought, well, I've had a C-section, so like my breasts just aren't like pumped up with, you know, it didn't like the milk didn't release. I thought breastfeeding was just like totally natural. Like it's just like, boom, like squirting, squirting. There it goes. (laughs) And what I was not prepared for was the horrendous experience I had Hmm. getting uh, breastfeeding actually working. So it hurt right away. So, and he wasn't gaining weight. So they, I said, you know, I really do want to breastfeed. And they said, well, it could be that you're holding him wrong. You know, so I tried so many different ways of holding him. And they said, we will have to give him formula if he doesn't start gaining, but you should still keep trying to breastfeed. I was trying both. I was trying to breastfeed and then we would feed him a little bit. So then I went home and I was staying with my parents and they are amazing. It was like, we had like a whiteboard set up and they would come in and help me pump because it got to be so painful. Like actually like he chewed off the tip of my nipple and they were bleeding and I was crying. Like it was so utterly painful and I couldn't understand what was going on. So we had like a whiteboard schedule of like when I would wake up, how long I would pump for, how many ounces I had gained. Then the, um, then the the formula that we had to give him and and they totally supported me through that wow. as we're trying to figure out what's going wrong this is crazy what we go through it was insane i mean and i totally get why if i hadn't had them i would have completely given up and just been like i'm doing formula because yeah that's what i think too like that's crazy strength to be re- to be so committed to it i i was not getting any sleep because yeah, I, believe I, it. Yeah. I had to get up and pump. I was also in so much pain. It, it, I was out of my mind, absolutely out of my mind. But then we hired another private consultant to come over and she said, look, I can tell right away what the problem is. Actually, it's, it's not you, the way you're holding him. He has a tongue tie, mm. both on the lower um, portion under his tongue and on like here, this membrane over the lip. Oh, okay. And so that means he can't open his mouth wide enough to to you know they're not supposed to suck on the tip they're supposed to suck on the areola yeah yeah and he couldn't open his mouth wide enough he was only getting the the edge part and that's why i was hurting so bad so she said you need to get surgery done on him if you want to continue breastfeeding and my dad at that point my dad i love my dad you know he was just i was like topless in front of my dad and he was just like (laughs) Well, you know, that's midair refueling and that's life, you know, gotta, gotta make it work. Like he did not make me feel shamed at all. He was just there to help. And I remember him, but he would, you know, not like try and look, but he'd be like in the doorway, just kind of like averting his eyes a little bit, but he's like, oh yeah, you know, that happened to me. The doctor just took me, told my mother, look the other way and cut under my tongue (gasps) with a scalpel. Whoa. Okay. This uh, breastfeeding consultant said to us, look, I've got the name of a doctor who's about a four hour drive from here. He does it with laser. Oh, And it's oh, done wow. in like 10 minutes. Cool. It's not covered by insurance. You have to pay $600, but you can get it done. Boom. So when my son was 10 days old, we drove to the city. We had an appointment 
this guy I think does like three during his lunch hour. He must own a private island somewhere. But he Whoa. took the baby away from me. He's like, you can't watch. He says, there's smoke. You're going to be scared. You can't watch. So I'm taking your baby away. But when you come back, then just breastfeed him. And so when they brought him back, he was crying. But I immediately put him on my breast. And he just calmed down. And then after that, it was smooth sailing. Wow. After that. And then, like, you see pictures of him up to when he's 10 days old. He's like this little sack of bones. Aww. You know? And then it was just like boom balloon baby and he just started getting these roly-poly folds oh that must have been so great to see it was so great to see and it was so great to be able to breastfeed him and not have to worry about formula because we did end up going back to pakistan and you know the water it's just not as easy to like get everything you need and just to know i could breastfeed him and that was clean and sterile and healthy um was really refreshing to me but yeah that was a when we talk about being out of your mind and feeling out of control, for me, that was beginning breastfeeding. Wow. Okay. Yeah, for me, I had more of the experience of like, it, it just worked. It was fine. But but because it was a C-section, it, it also took a couple of days for the milk to come in. And that was also then a misunderstanding at the hospital that like there wasn't enough milk in the first 24 hours. And Nat was getting more and more frustrated and more and more red in the face. And they came in and asked, like, should we supplement with formula? And in my mind, I said yes, but they understood that I that I didn't want that for him, and so they didn't give it to him. Then, like, he got dehydrated, but all they saw was like, okay, he has a fever and he's not doing well now. And so they took him to intensive care for two days, I guess, where they were monitoring him. They assumed that he had an infection because I had been so long in labor after this mucus plug thing came out. Mucus That's what plug. it's called. Yes. yes. We're back in the game. <laughs> like now that we've been talking about it long enough, the terminology's coming back. Yeah. And so they said it's um it's not surprising if he has a bacterial infection after the mucus plug coming out and um and it taking twenty four full hours before he then came out by c-section they took nat's temperature and it was it was high and they whisked him away and i was standing like a little bit in their way or sitting or i remember like one nurse saying to me like your baby is not doing well get out of the way and i was just i remember in the moment like that just made me so angry and helpless again because i was like he's doing fine and how is this helping anyone, even if he wasn't doing well? Like, is this how you want to talk to the new mother of this baby? Like, even if you think that this baby is not doing well, is this really the best way to communicate it? And so they whisked him away. I wasn't able to walk because I had just had a C-section. Later, I found out it's considered major surgery. Yeah. Yeah, I, Which I makes understand sense. why. <laughs> yeah, and I understand why too, but of course it's major surgery. They take your organs out of your body and they they cut you they cut through your stomach muscle. But um because I had just had major surgery, I couldn't walk, like looking around at the signs, trying to figure out like, okay, how do I get to my baby now? I remember walking to the cafeteria. That was my oh. big goal. And um I remember one nurse looking at me and saying, girl, you look like you're going to faint. Like, don't push it too much farther. Maybe get a wheelchair back. I was like, you know, I think I wanted to, you know, show my strength. Yeah, I can recover from this. I want to be there for my baby. But it is good to, it is major surgery. You have to heal. I don't know. It... (laughs) I was I had a lovely time in the hospital just because I had you know my sister there. I remember you know it's funny when you talk about people naming their babies, wanting to name their babies after the doctor. Like I remember the doctor came in to see like how I was doing. I was like, "You were amazing. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> What's your name?" And I was like, "Well, we've already chosen a name for our son, but you know, like I can like I can see how." If you have a good experience, yeah, with these the hormones, staff, the hormones are, are kind. Yeah. You're just like loving and thanking, and yeah. I, I definitely was in that that mood um, <laughs> at the time. I, I can't remember her name. Anyway, I remember looking at myself in the mirror afterwards, and I just was like, my body looks so odd. Like it just looks like someone has taken butter and like <laughs> like plopped it on the side of my hips. 
in some weird way. Like it just, cause you're, I was so used to looking at this like round tight belly in front of me and now it was just moved to the side in a way. I was like, this is weird. After having a baby and also going through what I did with breastfeeding, I developed a much different relationship to my body. Uh-huh. I gained so much more love for my body and the way it's shaped and its ability to recover and mm. that and a lot less shame about maybe parts that I didn't think were perfect. Okay. And and I thought that was something that I grew from like through that process like mentally. I have to say like I need to reconnect with that because you know I work so much now and I'm so office oriented and that's reshaped my body in a totally different way mm. and I I want to get back in touch with that strength that even though you know I didn't have a baby naturally I still went through a lot and saw the way my body functions and I'd like to get back in touch with that to to feel more healthy. Yeah, that's interesting. I had kind of the opposite experience. Like I liked my body before and I don't necessarily like the changes and it's it's still kind of a a struggle where I'm trying to convince myself that it's okay like I don't like that there are folds in my stomach still and that there's this scar along the um, bottom and I do feel like it makes me like less desirable and limits the partners that would be open to me like I don't trust myself so much in the dating field then either because of that and I um I had a an acquaintance who who was talking about how like she put she doesn't have that much money but she has 3,000 euros set aside because she wants to um have breast surgery because she doesn't like what it did to her breasts I'm happy that like I don't my breasts look basically the same still (laughs) but but I wish I was in a mentality where I could say like even if they didn't you know it's a life experience that that changed my body and I don't want to put a judgment on that I really don't and I I wouldn't on another person's body but I think it's really it's a lot harder when it's about my my own body where I think like yeah, I, I'm kind. I I can't really look at my body without thinking like, hmm, how would other people who I'm attracted to see that? Yeah, I think it's interesting how we are so judgmental about ourselves, mm-hmm. and yet I think many people, when they see the whole of us connected to the mind of us, really see something different than what we might be so focused on. I think there are parts mm-hmm. of us that we're so laser focused on that to other people they're like, what? No, this I is my favorite part of you. I think that's true because because when you look at somebody else, you are looking at more of a whole and you're not micromanaging their body and but your mind. But also, I mean, and sometimes you are. There are certain micro parts of their body that you're like, that, that they might be like, what? I don't even think of that as like super attractive. But to you, it is. Okay, yeah. So I think there's a lot of different levels of attraction. And I think all of us have body shame that that we are worried about. Yeah, I think, I mean, I hate it that, that that's so ingrained in us that we're constantly looking for why our bodies aren't good. And I also hate the idea that like the ideal body is a prepubescent one that's disgusting, first of all. And why can't we, why can't we find it attractive to look at bodies that have had experience and see that as something desirable too. And obviously it's tied into magazines and consumerism and all of that, but I wish that narrative was changed. And I think it is hard to get that out of out of my mind. And then I hear like I hear people who I would normally think of as like feminists and they're talking about like Botox now too and and body changes and it's just it's definitely like it's hard dealing with other people's insecurities and my own insecurities. I, I would say this whole body morphing thing is not exactly limited to to women. Like men also face a lot of pressure to conform to a certain standard. Yeah. Um, and to modify and change. Well, let's talk about, I do have one question for the, for newborn care mm-hmm. and maternal care afterwards. Like once you were at home out of the hospital, 
You said that you got a lot of support from your parents, but is there a system in place in the U.S.? I think no. That midwives come to check on you or like what? No, it's you can hire private people to come just like we hired the private breastfeeding consultant. Okay. There are also women who will be hired as night nurses that can come so you can get some sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all paid and not covered by private. insurance. It's okay. not covered by insurance. You have to decide out of pocket, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Okay. Because the things available here are, there's something called Wochenbett and, ah, German pop quiz, Michelle. <laughs> Wochenbett. So a weekly bed? Yeah, a, I mean, that's the... Or a cloud bed? No, no, not Volk. That would be oh. Volkenbett. Ah, okay. This is Vo- Wochenbett. Yeah, Wochenbett, you understood okay. that right. Yeah, do you know what... Con- I mean, obviously, it's in the context of afterbirth home care. But... Um, is that someone comes over once a week and, like, yeah, checks yeah, yeah. on you? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And it's the midwife. The midwife that you built a relationship with while you were pregnant. You get this paid for by your insurance. She comes once a week for, I think, the first six weeks. I think the, the first six weeks are considered like Wochenbett. And the idea is that women really need to take that time once they've given birth to bond with their babies. And so the first six weeks you spend really resting, recovering with your baby in bed, and your midwife comes and visits you once a week, weighs the baby, gives you breastfeeding tips, gives gives you diaper changing tips, looks at the diaper contents, tells you if that's all okay, answers any questions that you might have, shows you methods of like calming your baby or getting your baby settled, anything that you might need, like nutrition, whatever. And also lots of nutrition tips for you as the new mother. I mean, those early weeks are really important yeah. to make sure that the, the child is thriving, to identify any problems, and uh, also to check in on the mother, see how she's doing, her, yeah, and just her to, physical and mental health. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And just to know that, like, I mean, you have a million questions that come up. And of course, you know, now we have the internet and a million different ways to access information but still it's nice to have like a real person there who's been through a lot who can look at the at the c-section scar and say like yeah that looks like it's healing normally who can look at the baby's soft spots and say like yeah those are still fine who can see like a rash i mean babies get all sorts of weird rashes and pimples and fungus and i don't even know but like to look at it and say yeah yeah this just needs this cream or use this oh my gosh i have a a funny story um so i remember one night i was changing my son's diaper kind of delirious because i probably didn't have that much sleep and i felt I started wiping his butt and I felt these hard balls and I I'm like what is this because I just had a nightlight on so I go out in the hallway and I found this like blue crystal like round thing and this is like was, a fairy tale I was freaking okay. out I was like what is coming out of him like oh this poor baby what what if I fed him why yeah. is he having like blue crystals why come is out he of turning his breast milk into jewels <laughs> right <laughs> Um, and then uh, I don't know what I did but finally I realized like he peed so much he burst his diaper and these were like absorbing crystals from within the diaper oh (laughs) my gosh on his butt okay oh my gosh I was I I mean I remember the panic I had for like you know I don't know five minutes like (laughs) but anyway so yeah they can probably (laughs) tell you oh look that's not a human thing that's just the diaper (laughs) yeah Coor, I don't know if I'm saying this right. Coor, coor, coor. Yeah, what is that? Is that basically uh, for stressed mothers? They can go away, paid for by insurance for three weeks to a place where it's kind of a retreat, where they have classes, they make meals for you. There's also a space for the kids to go so you can recover. But not if you have a newborn baby. If you have a newborn baby that stays with you the entire time, and yeah, exactly. It's a paid for retreat. By so you can do this company. after with a newborn baby? You can also, yeah, exactly. There's mm-hmm. also a one, one for new mothers. Like if you feel like you're having a hard time bonding with your baby or if you already have a lot of kids at home and you want a chance to just get somewhere where you can just focus on your baby. Um, yeah, there are a bunch of different reasons why you can 
why you can get this prescribed for you. You would go to the to your doctor or the ki- the baby's pediatrician, and you get a prescription basically for this, and then you can you can book a cure. And a lot of them are on lakes, and you get a paid for vacation. I've heard women uh, talk about this, and it they've had amazing experiences. Yeah. And it's true, like your employer has to let you go. And but that's another part of it. Like your employer has nothing to say here because the first three months of your baby's life you are off work anyway. That's true. <laughs> but later, once yeah, you go back, exactly. they, they yeah. have to they have to excuse you for it. Yeah, it's a medical it's a medical leave and yeah, you get to take that time off. There's a totally different narrative around like new mothers and having freshly given birth it's it's really understood here that that it's a huge life-changing body-changing thing that's happening and that you do need recovery time for it and I did not take advantage of it but did you have you ever you've never been on I mean I was in the states so they don't have that kind of thing but I was a freelancer so literally you know in that period before we were um had even gone to the dentist to have that surgery. Like I was up in the middle of the night typing on my computer, getting stuff done under deadline. Um, oh, wow. So, I mean, I think I took, I think I took a five to six day break and then I was like back at it. Holy crap. Yeah. Okay. Because, but I was working from home. Um, but still it, it, I felt the pressure, like got earned money. Yep. Wow. And what were those stories like? Cause you were saying you were like sleepless, delirious in pain. <laughs> Well, uh, they were for clients, uh, so I I was, um, yeah, I I definitely, we have a peer review system, so I definitely didn't send out anything that was like uh, unprofessionally done, (laughs) but I remember just being at the end of my rope, you know, more than delirious, just being at the end of my rope, just like so grumpy, I can't handle anything i'm so tired leave leave me alone yeah i can imagine i mean that's you don't want to think about anything else you have this new baby you don't want to think about other people's like business issues that's so far away yeah um well that's the that's the profession i've chosen so (laughs) gotta gotta always be producing but also from the country i mean here i think you would be able to step out of it it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Which I was very thankful th- for here then to have to have a couple of months off, but still to have my job and pay coming in from 70% of my paycheck for being at home with a new baby. What is for you the difference between birth in Berlin versus the U.S.? Like, what would you say for you is the biggest I think difference? Because I didn't give birth here, I don't know exactly but from what i hear that you can take something called eltern which is parent time which is paid time off i think it's like a like parents can split it so and that just sounds amazing to me just to be able to have that kind of nesting time uh, to me, sounds pretty amazing. I think from what you're describing, the hospital system is a little bit different, but still pretty similar, uh, depending, again, on the quality of hospitals that you're around in the States. Mm-hmm. It also can vary, but the expectation that you can go in and labor and if there's a, or just decide to have a doctor-assisted birth the whole time. Seems like there's similar options between the two countries. Yeah, but I know the the maternal mortality is different. Like I think the U.S. has one of the worst m- mortality rates. So that was that was one thing that I noticed too. That they they were taking anything any complaints seriously, and there was a lot of looking at like, okay, how are you doing? And lots of measuring, lots of scans to make mm-hmm. sure the uterus was really empty of any like debris or residuals before I was allowed to go home. There was, I mean, there was like a lot of this aftercare of, of checking out my whole body to make sure that it was I think was I think okay. the maternal mortality rate is one of the highest in, say, a rich economy. Like, I feel like if I had given birth in the U.S., I still would probably have this false idea, or at least I wouldn't feel so validated in, in feeling like it's a big deal to give birth. I think it takes a lot more work to to really accept that you're not crazy for thinking that it's that it's a huge thing and that you are powerful for going through it in whichever way it is. Right. And that it's not just a blip 
and you're back at work in two weeks. I think that's crazy that yeah, that's I mean, the expectation and the necessity and that's total for gaslighting for to tell women like, of course it's fine, of course you should be doing this. I mean, anyone who's doing that, it's it's a crazy feat. It's like it's an unbelievable feat to be with this with this freshly wounded body continuing to do work that really is not helping you in that moment. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because a lot of people don't have a choice. Exactly. Which is why I'm I'm really thankful that the that the idea here in Germany is that it is work raising the next generation, that it is something to to financially support. Yeah, there are many resources for parents here to try and help you give your children a healthy life. Yeah. And I really do appreciate and, that. And nobody's nobody's standing on the side saying, like, well, that's unfair. I don't have any kids and I'm not getting anything. I mean, there probably are like some minority, but but you don't hear that. That's not like a narrative that that often comes into the conversation. It's it's understood that this is something good for everyone. Like if if children have a good start if parents are given time to create healthy bonds with their children, it's good for the entire society and it, it is something valuable. I really do feel like I see my tax dollars at work here in Germany. Mm-hmm. To me, when I, you know, I, I wonder, okay, we're getting into the weeds here. Maybe we shouldn't get into this. But I think in America, there's a, an idea that socialism is like state-driven mind thinking and you don't have the freedom to choose what your future will be Mm. everyone's going to live off your tax dollar and actually they're not looking at the social benefits that come from a collective way of making sure everybody gets the care they need the children get the care and education they need what is the difference between giving birth in germany and the u.s right yeah, where do you come down on that? The expectation of how soon parents should go back to work. Mm. And um, yeah, that that's the biggest difference I yeah. think I could see. Yeah, and I would say the validation of the of of what someone who gives birth goes through, that it is life-changing, that it is huge for the body, for the mind, and that it requires it requires a lot of space and time to work through and that that's valued by society that it's not that that the people who give birth are not gaslit into thinking that they just need to to soldier on in their previous lives with now this whole new responsibility that in its uh, in and of itself is a full-time a full-time project amen sister now i finally know what happened with your birth situation We've been wanting to talk about this for a while, but we keep saying like, okay, let's save it for a podcast. Right. <laughs> now we've done it. Now we've done it. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank these you for sharing. Stories and um, yeah, we'll see you next see week. You next week.